0: Track the only thing that matters is a win. That's it. However, whatever, whatever it takes. Let's go, man. Let's win on three. One, two, three. Live 319, 319. in the entertainment capital of the world. Vikings blitz. Manning
1: got it off the rare deep throw, and maybe that's why they don't do it. Intercepted by Xavier Rhodes. It's the TC Martin show. They're not used to this, damn. heat they open up. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Okay, I ain't going to worry about you no more. 300 yards, four touchdowns. It's so sweet when you walk off the field knowing you get everything you got. Team win tonight.
0: The doctor is now in.
1: A very good Friday to you. We are back at our Friday home for the football season, the cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. No better place to be on the Las Vegas Strip. And we are here. That's right. Football season is upon us. College football kicking off big time this weekend. We've already had games a little bit on Wednesday. Last night, quite a few games. And today, a plethora of games. And then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then the NFL kicks it off next week. T.C. Martin broadcasting live from the William Hill Sportsbook inside the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. Ballpark Frank by my side. Numbchuck back in the studio. Gilby making it happen here. The G-Man on location, breaking his uh, maiden, taking a, a horse racing term there today. So uh, the team is in place. We're ready to roll here Friday home at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas, and we'll be breaking it down for you college football style, the guru, Trevor Maddich, the 15-time Emmy Award winner from ESPN. He will be joining us today as we'll be breaking down all of the college football games for you for the next two hours, and also we'll be joined by the lovely Dr. Christina Madison. We have more COVID protocols to discuss here with sports in Las Vegas, and then also uh, our good friends at Opportunity Village, a fantastic charity And they're getting ready to kick off their NFL handicapping contest this week that uh, we participate in and I've been involved with for many, many years, Opportunity Village, serving adults with intellectual disabilities since 1954, serving over 3,000 individuals, providing vocational training and employment opportunities, just a great charity, one of our favorites, and uh, love participating in their handicapping contest. And we've got free entries to give away into the contest coming up this year. So uh, we'll be doing that today as well as next week. So an action-packed show coming your way here live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because you mentioned Trevor's going to join us again today, and we'll actually be someplace seeing a team live that he would like to see and he's going to have to watch it on TV for a change because Trevor of course travels all over the country. His uh, BYU Cougars playing at Allegiant Stadium on Saturday night against Arizona so that should be an interesting game and yeah you mentioned uh, last night while I was sitting at home I was channel surfing a little bit, saw some of you doing the Aces game uh, there over at the Michelob Ultralight Arena but uh, of course I was watching Ohio State and Minnesota, was watching the U.S. Open, channel surfing a couple other football games, some baseball Games, a lot of action going on, so a great time of year to be a sports fan again. And you just feel a different excitement this year going into the football season because we're not wondering what conferences are playing, what conferences aren't playing. You know, they have. Their COVID protocols in place now. You may agree or disagree with them, but we're not going to be looking at games moving all over the place. If you're ready to play, you play. And if you're not ready to play, you're going to forfeit games or something. So I think teams are going to be a little bit more careful with it. But there seems to be an enthusiasm again because we're getting back to some some sense of normalcy. And I think that's what everybody wants.
1: Absolutely. And again, we've been talking about it all week. That this week just has a totally different feeling, and we go back to 2019 because that's when we compare it to when you had, you know, uh, you know, fans in the stands, and we had, you know, packed stadiums. But the way that college football set this up for this Labor Day weekend, where you had so many games, you know, on Thursday and then Friday and then Saturday, and then you got games on Sunday, and you have a standalone game on on Monday on Labor Day as well too. And the matchups are fantastic. I mean, we've got some great matchups, and you've got one that's going to be happening during our show here, kicking off at 3 o'clock here. And I know people here at the Cosmopolitan are lining up to bet. North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and we'll talk to Trevor Maddich about that game. Trevor will join us a little bit later on in this hour. And we've seen you know early action come in on North Carolina. Sam Howell's probably one of the Heisman Trophy favorites. And, uh, you know, with Virginia Tech, traditionally a very good defensive team, but you just don't know. And then we've been talking a lot about Georgia Clemson. Definitely the marquee game will be at 5 o'clock tomorrow night. We look forward to that you got Notre Dame in action on Sunday. Uh, you got UCLA, LSU, and our good friend Brian Benowitz, our gracious host here at the Cosmopolitan, the vice president of casino operations, who is normally with us on Friday. Well, Brian, you know, he's got it early out, so we gave him a pass so he could get down to the Rose Bowl. He's getting settled into Pasadena because he's going to watch his UCLA Bruins take on LSU, and that game's tomorrow night at 530. So there are a lot of fantastic college football games.
2: Yeah, and at this time of year with Brian, you just wonder it's not if he's going to be blue or not, but is it going to be the light blue or the dark blue because of, or the royal blue of Michigan because, of course, uh, his daughter goes there and then he's the the UCLA guy, but yeah, and it's also nice to see uh, this early in the season that we're getting those big games, like you mentioned with Georgia and Clemson, LSU and UCLA, you know, and, and then you have the Big Ten starting out with conference play, so it's kind of all over the place a little bit here and there, but uh, you know, we're still trying to get the map of things. I know the Big 12, a lot of people thought they were going to be dead. Now they're talking about BYU and Boise joining them. So, you never know what's going on in the college football world, but you can know what's going on on the gridiron by watching the games again. And, uh, unfortunately, here locally, last night UNLV got off to another start, which, uh, you know, they showed a lot of fight, but didn't get it done. It was all of a sudden done. But, you know, it was still nice to see 21,000 people there at Allegiant for the uh, Rebel football team uh, last night as well. And uh, uh, a, a tough loss for them, but... Uh, an interesting, fun game, and we'll see if they can get a victory at some point this season because it has been a while.
1: Marcus Arruo still looking for his first win. Uh, started season number two last night, and let's just tell like it is. An embarrassing loss for UNLV. Now, we talked about this a lot the last couple days, what to expect from UNLV. And You look at season win totals, it's one and a half. Now, a lot of people who listen to us you know, nationally. They're going, well, who cares about UNLV? And, you know, again, we, t- we hit the national topics, but we also focus in on our community here in Las Vegas as well, and UNLV is, w- is one of our great partners. But this football team is to-, to steal a line from Scott Frost, which we talked about on Monday, from Nebraska. It's the same movie. And it was a very bad movie last night. Eastern Washington comes in here being a decent, okay, FCS team, okay, an entire division below. Not a bowl championship, you know, a bowl subdivision team, A, 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 you know, FCS team. And they are a decent team and a decent quarterback. And... This line was all over the place. If you got Eastern Washington early on, you're getting double digits. You played Eastern Washington on the money line, uh, you cashed in, uh, even though the line really fluctuated, and all that Eastern Washington money came in. But, again, you just didn't know what UNLV was going to bring to the table because Marcus Rowe plays everything very close to the vest. Uh, I wasn't really talking about the quarterback situation. You had two young quarterbacks. You had a sophomore. You had a junior with really no experience whatsoever. got Tate Martell who's transferred, you know, uh, a couple different schools, Ohio State, to Miami, came back home to Vegas. And he's on the team, but, you know, don't know when we're going to see him. So there's a lot of question marks with his UNLV team. But after last night's game, a lot of pomp and circumstance. Like you said, 21,000 there. It would have been nice to have more than that at the – first time that you have fans in Allegiant Stadium that's really you know opening the doors and you have 21 that's a little bit of a disappointment but the product on the football field was just downright ugly it, this game was 6 to 3 at halftime UNLV was ahead 6 to 3 at halftime and then they go ahead and they come out of the halftime break and this will basically tell you everything about this game so UNLV won the coin toss and they deferred to get the ball in the second half So coming out of the break, this is what they get. First possession, they get a delay of game penalty, followed by a false start, followed by a run for loss, followed by another run for a short game, followed by another false start. Then they run the ball again for a short game, and then they end up punting. How do you have a delay of game penalty in the first game of the season after halftime? Please explain that to me. And then you have a false start on top of the delay of game in the next play.
2: Well, it just shows that, you know, I mean, at halftime, that first possession, the first part of the third quarter is usually so crucial to games, and UNLV once again wasn't ready for it. And, and we've seen that historically through this team. Uh, with Arroyo as a coach, before that, for years and years, for really decades and decades with this club. I mean, every year we hear that they got better talent and they're going to make a move up, and you know, this year we've been hearing that Well, even though they might not win a ton of games, they're going to be better, but then you lose a game that certainly, I'm not going to say that was written down in ink, but it was a pencil, when your total is one and a half, this was one of the games that was no, pretty much a must win for win them. they yeah. supposed to win this game. yeah
1: win this game going away. And again, this is against a lower division team, an FCS team. And Eastern Washington scored
2: 17 straight points in the third quarter. And, and, and on it's the verge also, of blowing UNLV out. And it's also interesting because we touched on this yesterday as well. I would venture to say that the majority of the people that bet on Eastern Washington Hadn't even probably seen them play or didn't know hardly anything about them. It was strictly a bet against UNLV. Yes, yep. And because they've seen it year after year. You said it's the same old movie. It is the same old movie. Could you imagine if you bet Eastern Washington when that f- line first came out at 10 and bet them on the money line? Yes. You know, and mm-hmm. then they go off a favorite? And, and our, our good friend Chris Wynn just chimed in and said that they actually did go off a two-point favorite here at William Hill yep. right before the kickoff. Mm-hmm. So, But, yeah, I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, in game one of the football season in week one because week zero is over, which is still one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of. But in in game one, you have a line move of 12 or 13 points because you said at one book it actually opened 11. I mean, that's insane. Totally insane.
1: And the way the game unfolded last night, again, UNLV didn't get anything going until they made the quarterback change, and then UNLV scored two straight touchdowns, and then they tie this game up, and then Eastern Washington – Uh, makes a a, a fantastic uh, connection from their quarterback to a wide receiver to put them in in golden opportunity to kick a game-winning field goal and they milked the clock and I thought they should have just kept trying to score and get in the end zone, but they settled they started running the ball in the final minute and a half and they settled for a field goal with their kicker had already missed two field goals. Sure enough, he lines up from 33 yards away for the game winner as the, uh, you know, as, as the the end of the uh, regulation, and he misses another wide left. So he misses three straight field goals, giving UNLV life. So what happens here? UNLV, uh, you know, gets uh, g- gets to start the overtime period. You know, with the ball, they get a touchdown, and then Eastern Washington comes back. And this is what blew me away as I'm listening to this game while I'm driving home uh, from doing the Aces game last night. Eastern Washington scored on three consecutive possessions and touchdowns on three straight plays. So they got a touchdown in the first overtime. Then they get the ball to start the second overtime. First play, touchdown. So back-to-back touchdowns in two, two plays. And then the new college rules state that you must go for two, beginning with the second overtime, and then they had the two-point conversion. So they got it all done in three consecutive plays. UNLV gets the ball, and they do get in the end zone to tie it up. They go for two. They fail. There's your final score, 35-33, and uh, UNLV's 0-1.
2: Well, and, you know, it's interesting, too, because when you put that scenario out there, (laughs) you almost wonder if Eastern Washington, if their head coach was thinking after the first touchdown, Maybe we should go for two after not yep. even wait to have to go for it because your kicker's going out right. on the field and he's already missed three field goals, yep. including a yep. chance to just win it. Yep. Could you imagine if he would have missed the extra point? I was thinking I mean, that exact same, know, same thing. I you know, UNLV yep. had opportunities. If you bet the total of that game and you had the under, you've got to feel like what a terrible beat I just had All they got to do is kick one of those field goals, and we're not talking the overtimes and all the extra points on the board and everything else out there. But I find it interesting that Eastern Washington actually did go for the extra point on the first one and made it. Because the way that, like you said, with them rolling down the field and just putting it in the end zone almost at ease without any opposition whatsoever, uh, it's almost surprising that they didn't go for the two right off the yeah. bat. But then if you miss it, of course, right. then the coach is like, well, why didn't you just kick yeah. the point? Well, have you seen our kicker? When you get the ball at the 25-yard line, okay, you're not
1: supposed to score in one play. No, not, and, not on
2: the first play. And, and I maybe mean, it, it twice. Yeah, it should be, yeah, it, it, it should be <laughs> probably a four- to eight-play drive or something right, like that. Right. You run the ball here, you throw the ball there, you huh. pick up the first down. But it's – yeah, but yeah. it's. So. It, yeah, and, and, but we talked about that before too. UNLV historically, the defense has broken down, and it breaks down in the fourth quarter and last night in the overtime. Yeah. It it, it, did, it didn't show up at all.
1: Yeah. So now UNLV has to travel to Tempe to take on Arizona State. So we know probably what's going to happen, you know, there. And the schedule really, you know, doesn't get any easier. And then the next home game is going to be against Iowa State, who is a perennial, you know, top ten team this year. I mean, Matt Campbell has done a fantastic job there. And then, you know, they're going to be coming off that game against, uh, you know, Iowa. So that's who they play next week. That's going to be a great game. So, but, uh, yes, looking forward to getting to the stadium to see UNLV play against Iowa State. But the fans that were in attendance there last night, they just had to be leaving once again, saying, here we go again. Again, this isn't a two or a three or a five-year thing. This is a 30-year dilemma if we got to go back to Randall Cunningham before this team was
2: relevant. Oh, yeah. Very sure. sad. I mean, it would be bad enough if we said we had to go back to before 2000. Right. We have to go back almost to the 1980s, like you said. It's You know, Randall Cunningham or Icky Woods teams yeah. were okay or something. Right. But, yeah, but, no, they haven't been good for a long time. They've had flashes here and there. But, again, the narrative of every year, we're hearing about how they're better in that. And you mentioned the quarterback carousel going on right now. Uh, you know, we have some young quarterbacks. And there's a guy like Tate Martell in the mix. Tate Martell, he's coming off an injury that apparently – a royal didn't even know exactly what it was going on or something because he said he wasn't sure. We know he's got the thumb thing. He's got it taped up in that. And here was a guy that was super highly touted coming out of Bishop Gorman, went to Ohio State, like you said, transferred again. He's been to different places. I mean, you have a quarterback that was literally one of the top-rated quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school. Now he finally comes back home. I'll tell you what, if you're Tate Martell, Martel, you can't make it with UNLV. Then I mean I'm sorry, and that's not a knock on right. the other guys at UNLV. But right. as highly touted as he was, he could have gone literally almost anywhere in the country yeah. he wanted to.
1: No. no, that is a game that you have to win last night. If you are UNLV, you're a D1 program. You are in the Mountain West Conference. I, I understand. You know, you're the one of the bottom tier teams in the Mountain West Conference. But you have to win that game against an FCS school. Again, you're paying them to come remember that. You know, you're paying these schools, you're giving them a check and the same thing happened with Howard going back years ago when they were a
2: 45 point favorite UNLV was at Sam Boys Stadium and yeah, got beat. Yeah, one of the biggest upsets yeah. in, in, in all of sports yeah. history. The, the thing that doesn't put it on the map for most people is because it was UNLV Howard and most right. people didn't even know about it or right. care about it at all. But from, a, has there been a bigger than a 45 point favorite no. winning game no. straight
1: out? No, no. Again, and this is what we're talking about. And you can have the fancy facilities, you can have the new and improved Fortita Football Complex on campus, you can have a shiny new stadium that an NFL stadium that you share with the Raiders. But the bottom line is, if you can't win against an FCS team, then you've got some major problems. And like I said, we we knew that it was going to be a struggle. That's why the point spread, what, uh, you know, was what it was why the season win total was where it was at one and a half but still you've got to win these type of games and again I'll go back and I hate to say this uh, Tony Sanchez (laughs) people are still saying you know probably shouldn't got rid of Tony Sanchez it's it's not like there's a major improvement here from a coaching aspect or a football talent perspective as well too at least Tony was winning four or five games a year
2: Well, yeah, and the thing about it is, and again, I I don't want to pile on a Royal because it has been difficult. We all want UNLV
0: to win. Well, right, and it's been
2: difficult with the pandemic and different things and that, but the one narrative that seems the same is if you like the coach that's there or if you think he deserves more time, after so many coaches and that door has been a revolving door, Instead of sounding like reasons to keep a coach around or something, it starts sounding like excuses for, well, why they're set up to lose or something. And maybe at Royal, now that things are open again and coaches can travel and they can start recruiting kids, maybe he will get the talent there. Maybe they will turn it around. But it's a horrible way to start this season. Your over-under total was 1.5 going into it. You lost the one game that everybody figured, well, if you're going to win one, this is that one. I don't know where two wins come on this schedule, and I'm sorry. I know some people are looking at, well, you know, they could be a better team and still not win games. It's not moral victory time. Yeah. Getting close to a team doesn't mean, all right, way to go, boy, good job or something like that. You need to get a W on the football field, and you couldn't do it against Eastern Washington. Yeah, yeah. FCS team at home
1: in your home opener. You got to get the job done. So, Elisa, uh, the news was much better uh, down the street at the Mandalay Bay at the Michelob Ultra Arena last night. The Aces uh, victorious over Chicago 90 to 83. Uh, Aces playing shorthanded, like we said. Uh, Liz Cambage out with COVID 19. No real timetable for her to return. Uh, she is vaccinated. So it's not like Liz Cambage was was careless. It was just one of those quirky things. Talking again with Bill Lambier last night, he goes, It was just one of these weird things. And of course, like he said, he goes, Of all people, it has to happen to Liz Cambage, who's there's always some sort of controversy with her. And again, she's just a a great player, she's a great personality. But, uh, you know, feel bad for her. But she is feeling well, she's okay. Uh, but with WNBA protocol, she's going to be out for a minimum of 10 days. Deerka Hamby was also injured, so the Aces only shoot, uh, suited up eight players last night. And uh, they came out like gangbusters, built a 17 point uh, lead there at the end of the first quarter, led by 16 at halftime. And we talked about the Chicago Sky yesterday. This team's battling for a playoff spot. They've got Candace Park, who's fantastic. Candace Parker was fantastic last night. She led all the scores with 30 points. And the Chicago Sky came rolling back and outscored the Aces 29-17 to in the third, and then they took the lead in the fourth quarter. So it came crunch time with three minutes to go, we're wondering, wow, are the Aces going to lose this game? Are they going to choke it away? But luckily, they went on a 13-4 run in, in the last two minutes, and they ended up winning the game by seven, but uh, a, a very good and entertaining game last night, and uh, they've uh, kind of held Chicago out of the playoff situation for now, but a big win for the Aces. They still have the second-best record in the WNBA, and if you're not watching the Aces, you're not watching the WNBA, you got to start watching because this team is good, and this could be the first you know championship team, uh, the uh, professional sports team that has a parade here in Las Vegas right by the Cosmopolitan on Las Vegas Boulevard.
2: Yeah, and and I know you do the games in that, so maybe you see things a little bit differently sometimes because you're focused in on all the action going on. As I was watching the end of that game at home, the Aces did make a nice run. They got that run at the end like you mentioned. But I also thought, thought Chicago choked away that game. They got the technical foul called against them. Their coach was going crazy. They hit those free throws. The Aces come back. They score another bucket. Chicago's trying to make things happen down there. They get a wide open three with like a, you know 47 seconds left towards the end of the game. They pass up the three, drive the lane, but then don't take the bucket to the hole. Bring it all the way back out. Look like they're going to go for another three. Throw it down low with like three aces players there. They steal the ball. Chicago choked at crucial times. Their guards didn't get off like you said, that they had good guards and the Aces mentioned before the game that they were going to try to shut them down a little bit. So all the credit in the world to the Aces getting the job done, but Chicago in crunch time did not perform very well. They had some costly turnovers. Their coach was going crazy, and I know you want to support your team, but sometimes you've also got to be that calming influence there that the team can look over to. They see him exploding and everything, complaining, and they kind of start doing the same. So I thought the execution at the the end of the game by Vegas was what won them that game. They stayed calm, composed and got the job done and Chicago basically freaked out to me.
1: Yeah, and there was a big difference. You know, you mentioned uh, James Wade, the coach there, and he's relatively uh, a newer coach, only been coaching the last couple seasons there. And and again, yeah, that was coaching. And then you had Bill Lambeer, uh, obviously designed some great stuff there in the final minute and a half. And when you have players like Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray, uh, Raquana Williams, all of those uh, players were fantastic. In each one of them scored 21 points but they're all veterans and, and going back to what you're talking about with the Chicago guard play, uh, Courtney Vandersloot had probably one of her worst games Diamond to Shields had definitely the worst game that I've seen her have in her young career and then Allie Quigley who is one of the best uh, three point shooters and you know hits 44% from beyond the arc, uh, she was basically silent but Courtney Vandersloot this happens sometimes when you have a point guard that is just so assist specific and she wants to make other players you know, better, and she wants to get the ball to those scores. And you notice when they made that comeback, it was Candace Parker and Courtney Vandersloot. Vandersloot made three straight buckets. But then, like you mentioned, she went back, she got caught up in the air, and left her feet like she does a lot, trying to pass the ball, and ended up turning it over there. Uh, she came back down uh, before she could get the pass off or get the shot off. So, yeah, sometimes these point guards... that that lead the league as an assist, which he does at nine assists per game, sometimes they're not thinking about scoring
2: in perfect example last night. Yeah, and and I will say this too. um, It could have been a better performance by Chicago at the end. I still think the Aces might have found a way to get it done. But again, shorthanded against a Chicago team that had been playing pretty well, but we also mentioned it. They're a Jekyll-Hyde team in games, the way that they just beat Seattle recently, then got blown up by the Mercury like we said yesterday. Last night I thought they were a Jekyll-Hyde team during the game. Right. They had a, a bad start at the start. to let the Aces get that big uh, lead, come back in the game, and then in crunch time didn't get it done. So It's a dangerous team to play against, but if you get them in one of those downward trends, you can take advantage, and Vegas did that. And by the way, your girl Kelsey Plum, and I know we talked about this before the game, Mm -hmm. she's a good player. She hits a lot of shots. she's She's a real energizer in that, but she still needs some acting lessons because the time that she was trying to buy a call at the end of that game, whew, now I will say with the referees, how they huddle around and don't know what they're looking at, maybe it was worth a shot. But uh, when she took the dive trying to get a call on the one plate, and I don't blame her for, for taking it, take a shot, but it was a worse dive than I've seen in the NHL on <laughs> a lot of cases.
1: <laughs> Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plover, Quana Williams, all each of them had 21 points last night, and the Aces get the victory 20-7 and seven now, second-best record, one game behind Connecticut. Uh, they improved to 12-3 and three at home, only five games left. And they're going to play Chicago two more times. And the next game is Sunday uh, at Chicago. 12 noon start. You can watch that game on ABC. And then the Aces will be back home on Wednesday to take on the Minnesota link. So get out to the Mandalay Bay. They've opened it back up now with the COVID protocols. So fans uh, allowed back in there now. And uh, tickets are on sale at, at access.com. So get out there, support the Aces, and get ready for playoff basketball because they've clinched a playoff spot already. And uh, now we'll see how far they can go.
2: And, and you mentioned the fact that they're a game behind Connecticut. In reality, they're kind of two games behind they because Connecticut games, does right. have that the tiebreaker. So. They would have to beat Connecticut outright if they both end up tying. Connecticut still gets that one seed. Yeah,
1: and like we talked about before, as long as you get the one or the two seed, you're you're in pretty good shape, you know, because you, you'll get the double bye. So as long as the aces can, can get that, uh, you know, one of the two uh, top seeds, and they'll be okay. All right, when we come back, we'll start talking some college football here. We start breaking it down. We'll look at uh, specifically tomorrow's action with our good friend Trevor Maddich, the 15-time Emmy Award winner It does a fantastic job with ESPN college football. We'll talk to Trevor, and we've got handicapping to do right here live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. It is the T.C. Martin Show on a – Fabulous football Friday. Now, more from your favorite sports radio physician. Wow, that's the best news I heard in a dog's age.
0: The doctor, T.C. Martin.
1: Friday afternoon, back at the cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, T.C. Martin Ballpark. Frank, with you, no better place to be here. For a Labor Day weekend, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, whether it's gaming, the entertainment, or the food, or the sports book here, all fantastic options here at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, our Friday home. Make sure you come on down and join us. Uh, And our best bets will resume next week as well, too, where we pick our three best NFL games, three best college games. So each and every Friday right here at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Uh, streaming live, of course, tcmartinshow.com, locally here in Las Vegas as well, too. And, uh, yes, 2 to 4 p.m., the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas, our Friday football home. And, of course, our guy who just we love having on the program because he is so dialed in, just not to the college side, but the NFL side as well, too, and a great friend, the 15-time Emmy Award winner, and uh, just does a fantastic job with ESPN College Football, and just recently last weekend, we saw his uh, virtual tour, uh, Trevor's Travels, as I like to say, Trevor's College Football Tour, it went virtual this year, but uh, just fantastic behind-the-scenes stuff with uh, Trevor Maddich. Trev, what's going on, my man?
0: T.C., man, I am so excited for the football to be started. We've already had a treat with last night's games, and now... Week one, begins we in I got a little bit of a connection problem
1: there uh, with, with Trevor. So uh, Trevor Madich joined us uh, from ESPN. Got a little bit of a, a phone difficulty issue there. So uh, hopefully Numbchuck will get on that, and we'll get him back. Trevor, are you with us?
0: Uh, I believe I am with you.
1: <laughs> I know Can you're hear with them? us. I know, I know. Just uh,
0: live radio, on the road sometimes, it happens. So there you go. Well, I I tell you what, though, the the aura coming up from those amazing meals. TC, the the pictures that you sent me (laughs) of the food you were eating at the Cosmopolitan was, I mean, I want to jump on a, a train, a plane, an automobile, a covered wagon, I don't care, and come out there and eat where you eat. Holy smokes. You got
1: to do it, Trevor, Plain it simple. Now, I can give you the the breakfast pictures if you'd like to dive in to uh, you know some uh, fantastic french toast with the uh, the blueberries and the blackberries and that sort of thing too. We could do that. I can I show you some french onion soup, uh, you know the steaks, the seafood, the 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 cocktail the crab cocktails, uh shrimp cocktails. We got a lot. Whatever you
0: whatever you want, brother. Whatever you want. You know, what, as as long as they serve breakfast at 10
2: o'clock at night, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> we can have that arranged for you, my friend. It, it, it's Vegas. They serve breakfast <laughs> 24-7. <laughs>
1: nice. There it is. Nice. All right, my friend, we've got uh, college football to talk about here. We've got plenty of games, and we've got one coming up here very, very soon. And people of the sports book want to know, what does Trevor Maddich think about North Carolina traveling to Virginia Tech? We know that's a fantastic atmosphere there. In Blacksburg, Virginia, uh, Sam Howell probably, uh, you know, a, a Heisman Trophy favorite here, and uh, don't know exactly what we're going to get out of Virginia Tech, a program that's really kind of been on the on the downspin for the past couple seasons, Trevor. So, I guess the question here is, how good is Sam Howell? How good is Mac Brown's North Carolina team? And uh, what do you expect to see today?
0: You see, this game strikes me as one of steadiness from Virginia Tech against how few mistakes North Carolina can make, because North Carolina should make a lot of big plays, and as long as they don't make a lot of bad ones, I think they'll win, and I think they'll cover. The thing about Virginia Tech is that last year, you were right, they they were up and down. they sometimes good, sometimes bad. This year, I think the defense will be better, the running game will be better, uh, and they'll be steady. And of course, they'll come out on fire. I mean, they've got the college football world almost to themselves, uh, and you've got Enter Sandman, which is the, the runout music for the Virginia Tech Hokies at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, where they play that, and the crowd goes nuts, and when they come bursting out of the tunnel, it's one of the most electric scenes in all of college football. And North Carolina is going to have to withstand the initial fury of the Hokies. But you're right about Sam Howell. Sam Howell is a Heisman candidate because he combines two – great styles at a high level. First, there is no better deep passer in college football than Howell. He throws deep on everybody, including Clemson. And the second is that when things break down, he's also one of the best improvisers in college football. So the defense wins the first half of the play, and he gets out and scrambles around and has the vision and the patience to make something happen anyway. Now, he did lose a lot of his top playmakers to the NFL, but he's got a bunch back. For example, De'Ami Brown for the last several years has been a a deep threat wide receiver that, again, gets behind everybody. He's now with the Washington football team, but his younger brother, Choffrey Brown, is even faster than De'Ami. So I think after a slow start, I expect to see fireworks from this North Carolina offense.
1: And North Carolina opened a four-point favorite. The line now up to a a five-and-a-half. But again, like you said, you know, playing in Blacksburg, is a, is a tough chore so we'll see what happens with uh, North Carolina tonight. we look at, ahead to tomorrow Trevor, several games uh, of interest here and I want to just kind of go down the board and, and hit some games with you. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Stanford and Kansas State. I mean this, uh, this thing is uh, you know two teams that you know are probably, I guess under the radar a, a little bit. But uh, we know the Kansas State probably has the edge at quarterback there. And, uh, you know, David Shaw's team at Stanford, again, they took a step back last year. And I think we're going to be saying this a lot. There's a lot of these teams that were, you know, traditional, you know, powers that took a step back. I don't know if it was because of COVID, because lack of fans, just because of the quirky scheduling and everything that happened here. But uh, how good can
0: Stanford be this year? Stanford, I think, has a chance to be pretty good. Last year was kind of sneaky under the radar. 2019 was where they really kind of fell off the map. That they've lost their quarterback, Davis Mills, to the NFL. And so they've got a whole bunch of guys that are, you know, six four, two twenty, 220 NFL-style pocket passers. I think they'll be okay there. And their running game, I think the offensive line will have the edge over the offensive line of Kansas State. But you're right, the edge that Kansas State has is experience at quarterback. I mean, last year, Skyler Thompson uh, was hurt. Uh, a lot of the year. Will Howard had to go in and sort of be thrown to the wolves, and he did okay, but Skylar Thompson seems to be back and healthy. And if that's the case, then that is a huge advantage for the Wildcats.
1: All right, uh, Trevor, let's uh, move on to a a Big Ten game here. Uh, Penn State and Wisconsin, we've got a couple quarterbacks here that uh, was Sean Clifford, a guy pretty uneven season uh, last year. And then we got Graham Mertz uh, for Wisconsin. Not a lot of people know about him, but when Mertz came in uh, in relief duty last year or fill-in duty, he looked pretty good. And uh, I know that uh, when I look at this Wisconsin team, I'm thinking that this guy has the – the best skill set or at least maybe the best athleticism maybe since Russell Wilson was there for one year when he transferred over from NC State give me your thoughts about Penn State
0: and Wisconsin this is such a great matchup in the opening season because this game may determine for each team whether or not they can make it into the Big Ten Championship game more for Wisconsin than for Penn State because no matter what Penn State still has to beat Ohio State in order to get there but I love the matchup And you're right about the quarterbacks, T.C. Last year, Penn State was completely up and down. They lost their first five games in a row, 0-5. Then they won their last four. And Sean Clifford, at quarterback for the Nittany Lions, kind of mirrored that whole up-and-down season. But what they did have, and they kind of carried it through, was just too darn many turnovers. And that's a problem when you're playing at Wisconsin because Wisconsin will have one of the best groups of linebackers in the country, and they create a lot of turnovers. One of the best defenses overall in college football. Now, Graham at quarterback, last year came out with his hair on fire. It was fantastic. Then he lost a bunch of his receivers to injury. Then COVID hit the team and hit Mertz. They had a bunch of guys missed time. So I think Wisconsin is actually ahead of where Penn State's roster is right now. And I like Wisconsin to, to win this game. I like them to cover. Because I think they're just better in places where Penn State is actually pretty good.
1: Wisconsin a a five-and-a-half point uh, favorite in this game.
2: And and certainly, Trevor, one of the things that we're going to be looking at this year more because fans are back in the stands again all over the country, and Wisconsin does have a big home field advantage. We know that at halftime their coaches are going to make adjustments, but we also know that crowd's are going to be jumping up and down and singing the songs that they do at the halftime. They're going to come out to a fired up crowd whether they're up or down going into the second half. Penn State knows about that type of advantage themselves when they have their whiteout games every year in Penn State, but Wisconsin is a big home field advantage. Are you going to be watching that a little bit even more this year for because obviously some teams the home field means more than others. But with fans back in the stands, that's going to be something that people are I think are going to pay a little bit more attention to this season.
0: Yeah, just ask Ohio State how hard it is to play at Wisconsin when the Badger team is doing well and when the fans are cranked. And that's what Penn State's going to see here. And also, you know, you mentioned the, the adjustments, and that's something else that I'll be looking for because Penn State is on his third offensive coordinator in three years. And Mike Yersuch is a good offensive coordinator, but he doesn't have firsthand knowledge of how his guys respond under certain types of adversity in the game. He's going to be learning about it for the first time at Wisconsin. And so he won't necessarily have as much of an ability and familiarity to make those adjustments as he will later in the season.
1: All right, uh, Trevor Mass joins us from ESPN, college football, breaking it down. And I personally have been to several of those Wisconsin-Penn State games, and I, I remember seeing young Penn State quarterbacks be affected by the 80,000-plus there at Camp Randall Stadium. So, uh, yeah, spent many many November afternoons watching uh, those two teams go at it, and that's really turned into a pretty good rivalry. Uh, as well alabama miami uh bryce young he is the next alabama quarterback in line we went to jalen hurts we went through Tua, we went to mac jones and now we got bryce young a west coast kid coming to alabama here but alabama only has three starters back on offense trevor is it a concern for the tide
0: it is a concern and the reason is not talent i mean they've reloaded with national championship caliber players if not at the same level as they were last year. I mean, John Metchie in this receiving corps, there's a lot of young receivers for Alabama, really fast, really good, but you're losing two first-round wide receivers to the NFL in Jalen Waddle and Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith. And so it'll take time for Bryce Young to get it going. And the other problem is that Manny Diaz, the head coach of Miami, is defensive-minded, and he's taking over the defensive play calling this year, and there is no defensive play caller in college football better than Manny Diaz at getting inside the head of a young quarterback. So the question will be, how will Bryce Young handle that kind of pressure? We saw Ohio State play last night, and in the first half, the Buckeyes scored one touchdown, and that's it. And that was on a long run, on a busted assignment from the defense of Minnesota. The passing game went nowhere in the first, but in the second half, they came out and lit it up in the passing game. so the, And they had a new starting quarterback as well with C.J. Stroud. So the question is, what will be the path for Bryce Young? If he struggles early, how long will it be before he snaps into gear and gets his chemistry going with his receivers? That will be a big storyline in this game. Because the quarterback on the other side, Eric King, for Miami, is a super senior. This is his sixth year. And he is a phenomenal talent. He'll be in the NFL next year. He doesn't have as good a team around him in terms of overall talent, but he's less likely to make the big mistake. So that's kind of where we're looking at the the chance for Miami to be. Al, are you willing to lay 19
1: with the tide tonight, uh, or rather tomorrow on the road?
0: Yes, I am. I think think they will go uh, Alabama more old school here. They'll just start pounding the ball. But their offensive line, even though they lost several guys, including a first-round draft choice left tackle, still one of the best in the country, and their running backs, their stable is as deep as any running back stable in college football in recent memory. So they lose a first-round draft choice running back to this last draft, but they've got another five or six guys that could start almost anywhere in the country. And so I I think that they'll pound and pound and pound away and do what they normally do in the second half, pull away, and I think 19-and-a-half, that's what it is now, was it about 19-20? Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, yeah, I, I would lay that if I were putting my money
2: on it. When I look at this game that, that the one thing that I'm looking at is if, LA, if Miami wants any shot in this contest, they have to keep it close. They have to keep that crowd engaged because we know that Alabama, if they get on a roll, they can literally just run you over. Roll tide is clearly an appropriate uh, phrase for this club.
0: Well, yeah, and the thing is, if Miami's offense can't string together long drives, Miami's defense will wear down. They, they are very talented and very fast up front. They can rush the passer. They're explosive in the, in the D-line and the linebackers, but they don't have the depth that Alabama typically does. And if they are on the field too long early in the game, even though the score might be close, it's setting up for Bama to just take over in the fourth quarter. The big
1: marquee game coming up uh, tomorrow is Georgia and Clemson. They'll play in Charlotte. Uh, JT Daniels, pretty impressive since he transferred over to, to Georgia from USC last year. And then I'll let you say DJ Ugalele's name or whatever. I don't know if I got it right or even close, but I always I like to put those names on you, Trevor Madge, because you are the
0: expert at that, and you are the linguistic, too. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. Uh, it's DJ Uyunglele, and where <laughs> most people get tripped up is the last length. Yeah. And the way I learned to say it is Uyangale. So say Uyungle. How, how Can I just say ukulele? Add a at the end of that, and how about good. I just say ukulele? Wouldn't that be better? No, no, That's... no. We want to do that. <laughs> Uyungle is, is a proud name. So we're, we're not going to go that way. You're just right. say DJU if you get stuck. DJU. Yeah, DJ, I like that. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't I can't wait for this game. I mean, this is a clash of titans. I mean, this is two planets running into each other. And it, I go back and forth on what I think is going to happen here. But if you just break down kind of the scenarios, Georgia's front seven is as good as any in college football right now. I don't think Clemson will be able to run at all against Georgia. But Georgia lost like seven defensive backs over this offseason. I mean, they had a couple transfer in, and they got a lot of talent back there, but they aren't used to playing together. And the passing game of Clemson with DJU, throwing the ball down the field. And we saw him against Notre Dame throw for more yards than any other quarterback in the history of Notre Dame football in terms of opposing quarterbacks throwing against them. D.J. Uyunglele has the most opposing quarterback passing yards in the history of Notre Dame football. So we know he can, he can sling the ball. This year, though, he's got Justin Ross back at receiver. And so even if those Georgia defensive backs can stay close, Ross, along with T. Higgins a couple of years ago, were two of those guys that you didn't need to throw a a good deep ball. You just had to get it near them. And they would go up and win the ball because they're jump ball specialists. And they've got a lot of speed and depth at wide receiver. So I think this will be a a very interesting game that, that Clemson, if they win, will have to win with the passing game.
2: Obviously, you never want to see a situation where your starting quarterback can't play. But going into this season and going into this game, how important is it for Clemson that Uyungalele has had some games that meant something last season? So, you know, he's not just uh, being thrown in the fire or something like that, like Ohio State's quarterback Stroud was. He's got big game experience already with this club.
0: Yeah, that's massive because. Uh, Trevor Lawrence missed two games uh, in the COVID protocol last year. And Uyungle, as a true freshman, had to to start and play, and he did really well against BC and then against against Notre Dame. So that's big. On the other side, though, you've got JT Daniels. And for Georgia fans, Georgia's felt like they have had a national championship caliber roster for the last several years, except for they haven't felt like they've had national championship deep passing games. And so when they face the likes of Alabama and Florida in key moments that determine those sorts of things, the Gators and the tide have usually had better deep passing attacks because their quarterbacks have been able to to hit those deep throws with JT Daniels, USC transfer, Georgia believes they now have that missing piece of the puzzle. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how JT Daniels uh, connects deep. Now, having said all that, if I had to pick this game, if I had to pick this game, I would take, Clemson. I think this will be possibly the best defense that Dabble Sweeney has ever had. Last we saw them, they were they were allowing 49 points to Ohio State in the playoffs. I think they're going to come out on fire, and I think this will be a low-scoring game, and the difference will be DJU getting one more big pass than JT Daniels, and DJU is a 6'4", 250-pound tank, breaking off a couple of scrambles off of broken plays, it'll be the difference.
1: Looking forward to this uh, tomorrow, 5 o'clock, is uh, Clemson's a three-point favorite. Trevor, two quick games I I still want to hit you with. LSU-UCLA, why should we believe LSU is going to be better than what we saw last year? Because they were definitely
0: a disappointment. Yeah, they were awful, but I think on both lines of scrimmage, they'll be better, especially on defense. Last year, they were one of the worst pass defenses in college football, even though they had one of the best pairs of cover corners in college football, and they were one of the best intercepting groups in the land. So how does that happen? That happens when you've got a defensive coordinator that's too complicated and guys are out of position too much. They switch coordinators, they're going to be more simple, and those athletes will be able to run.
2: All
1: right, there's a game here at Allegiant Stadium tomorrow night that we're going to be at, my friend, BYU-Arizona. BYU, Arizona. BYU should, should we? we should have no problem laying two touchdowns with the Cougars,
0: right? Nah, I'd be careful about that. Ooh. I think BYU wins this game. The BYU but, alumnus saying Warren. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, be careful about that. BYU wins this game. But Arizona is not as unfortunate as people think. Their skill positions at running back and wide receiver are actual caliber. I mean, they're really good. Their offensive line has a chance to be pretty good. And they brought in some transfers to help them out on defense. Their secondary is pretty good. They can run. I mean, Arizona is not nearly as horrible as people think they are. BYU, I think, is going to have a really good team. But if, if my heart my heart says, yeah, take BYU, lay the points. But my head says this is going to be a tougher game than people think.
1: All right, Trevor, I want to leave you with this uh, real quick as we get ready to look at the NFL next week, and we'll talk to you next week about this. But just real quick, three of these quarterbacks... Who's going to have the better year? Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. You saw all of these guys in detail. You've broken a game film down. You've seen all these guys play live. Who's going to have the better year?
0: The one that will look the best is Zach Wilson because he'll make the most picked plays. The one that will have the best year is Mac Jones of the Patriots. And the reason is that they got a, they got a really good football team back from COVID last year. The Patriots had a ton of guys opt out of last season. And most of them will be back, especially on defense and then help on the offensive line. And I think that alone will put the Patriots in a better position to support their young quarterback than the Jets are in.
1: All right, brother. We appreciate it as always. I know you'll be watching all of these games. You have the TVs going there at the, uh, the Madich Mansion over the weekend. And uh, we look forward to talking with you a lot here during the course of the college football season, my friend. And, again, uh, I will continue sending
2: you food pictures from the Cosmopolitan.
0: Please, too, you're making me so hungry, Cece. You're a cool man, but pictures are better than nothing.
2: Well, are you also sending them pictures from Allegiant Stadium during the BYU game? We're going to do that as well, too. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's good. You know what? I'm so jealous. I would Listen, I, that's the place that I would be if uh, if I didn't
0: have to do radio. I'll be doing college right. candy on ESPN radio tomorrow. Can you picture that, Trevor? I mean, here
1: we are at the Cosmopolitan. You could be here. We could go to the BYU game, uh, root them on to victory, and then come back and have the gourmet meal. There you go. I mean, come on.
0: I know, love it. Right. And by the way, I want to see the new the owner of the the Raiders. Mr. Davis, Mr. his new house. I've seen a rendering of it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Do so, I want to see that house? It looks like it can take off and go into space. Yeah, we can actually hold
1: practices at his house there. There it is. I, probably, I think he has a retractable roof of the $14 million Mark Davis. Uh, that We should call that the Mark Davis mansion, no doubt.
0: I think Bill Gates is going to want to ask if he can come over to dinner, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Appreciate the time as always, man. Great. Thanks, DC. Thanks, you, Frank. You got it.
1: There he is. Trevor Manage. You can see why he's a 15-time Emmy Award winner. No one puts in the work that Trevor Maddox does, and a proud member of the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame as well, too. Great career in the NFL, 12 years in the NFL, uh, playing every position on the offensive line, including tight end, where he caught a touchdown pass. And, uh, of course, that BYU National Championship team of
2: 1984. Where they beat Michigan. That's right. Yeah, always got to throw that in. You love that part. Don't leave that out. Make sure when Double B's here next week that you throw that part in. There you go. (laughs) All right,
1: one hour down, one to go, live at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Uh, We come back. We're going to check in with our good friend Double B, who's down at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. He's not with us here today, but he's going to be with us on the phone as he gets ready for UCLA and LSU coming your way tomorrow. Dr. Christina Madison will join us. Our resident infectious disease doctor and the public health pharmacist. And uh, Taylor Junkin from Opportunity Village is going to join us as well, too, as we talk about picks for OV, your opportunity to contribute to a great cause and handicap NFL football games. We love being part of Opportunity Village. That and a whole lot more coming your way. T.C. Martin Show on a fabulous football Friday.